In the world around us, we're always put in a position to pit emotions against truth. Well, what is actually the biblical solution to this dilemma? Today, we're going to be looking at C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters in 1 Corinthians 13. So thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others here with me in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us as we begin? Sure, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to gather. Now make your presence known to each and every one of us that all the words we say um, and the laughter that is shared and the difficult things that are considered may it all be for the upbuilding of your kingdom and to your glory. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 And there should be some laughter today. After we get through our first segment, which is going to be looking at emotions and truth, we are going to do another cardinal virtue test where we explore... James and John, they're in Luke chapter 9. They call down fire from heaven, and we're going to rate them on how they exercise the cardinal virtues there in that passage. But for our starter conversation, we're going to be talking about emotions and truth. And we often wonder, what does the Bible actually teach us about desires? Moreover, where do our senses and emotions come from? Is this something that hell simply invented to tempt our souls and lead us astray? Or is it actually a product of God's design in our lives? Well, C.S. Lewis wrote about this in the Screwtape Letters, and I'm going to read a quote from that book. And keep in mind, Uncle Screwtape is a demon in hell writing to his dear nephew Wormwood about how they might better tempt people. So everything we're about to read is from the perspective of the darkness. Well, with that in mind, let's go ahead and read our words. Screwtape says, My dear Wormwood, I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures, and all of our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy, that is God, has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that which is indeed least natural, least regulant of its maker and therefore least pleasurable. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. It is more certain, and it's better style. Now, before we get into our, our conversation, I wanted to open up the floor for us to have some initial thoughts on Screwtape's words right here. Pastor Mike, do you have any initial impressions that Screwtape has wrote to us? Well, you know, obviously he's he's looking at not just the, the pleasurable, but pointing to a, a, a much I guess you would say easier uh, manipulation to um, really steal someone's soul from God, uh, the Creator. And so he's trying to get away from those natural things and the natural laws of God and to really um, corrupt people. So I think, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis is brilliant in the way that he writes this uh, from the, you know, the enemy's perspective. Uh, but it also is a, is a warning to us to be very much in tune with these deceptive uh, tactics that Screwtape gives. Mm. Yeah, Pastor Amanda, your thoughts? Yeah, well, I like the finishing, or yeah, the finishing line of this section, this quote, that it's not just more certain but better style. So, like, you get points not just for accomplishing the task for Wormwood, tempting someone into sin, but you get also, like, bonus points. You get extra credit if you can do it very stylish, which yeah. is a fascinating... Uh, aspect i think of this narrative and, and kind of this idea of temptation or the idea that that in this context that lewis is presenting to us i think also it reveals to us a deep truth that lewis and his friend tolkien shared and i believe it's the augustinian viewpoint of how, or how what evil is which most christians would follow this viewpoint that says like evil's not actually a thing a thing that can combat god that would be dualism but it is the destruction, the manipulation, right. the deterioration of what God has created. Right. And of course, like we have demons in this, so I'm not saying they don't exist, but what they exist and how they exist so much is not so much something that creates itself or is created by like an evil version of God, but it is the distortion of God's right. order. And how we then combat them is going to be drastically different 
than if we're going to combat an evil that we see as an equal power in the world. Sure. And so um, just in one paragraph, C.S. Lewis has kind of laid out a plethora of theology for us to consider. Yeah, he really has. And kind of one of the undergirding points here is that the devil is a fallen creature. And in that, his goal is to pervert. God made the senses. This is something which we really need to nail down. This is where critical thinking and really learning about the world and ourselves comes into play. God made all of our emotions. Mm. All of the desires we have, God made. They become sin when we start desiring to use those desires. There's a little bit of a linguistic mishap there for you. When we want to use our desires and senses and emotions in a way that they weren't designed. Mm. Take, for instance, lust takes the natural desire for, for family and marriage, and it moves that outside of it. And it, it takes the natural form and it tries to replace it for something which is ever-diminishing, something like pornography or you know things like prostitution. There's this ever-diminishing return, but yet you're ever-increasing your craving for it. Even other things like gluttony, like we're actually designed to eat, but gluttony is you're just taking an excess of it. Or in other times, there are things which are good to do, like being clean, you know, following commandments on keeping your, your body and your life together in good stewardship. And instead of us actually being fruitful in those areas, we're kind of laid back. We don't actually engage in stewardship. We don't engage in trying to be clean and things of that nature. So it's about this ultimate question is about what, how do we wade through the waters between emotions and truth? And. I want to jump now to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then I'm going to share a confession from my own life, and we'll kind of go from there. In 1 Corinthians 13, 6, it says, Love delights not in evil, but rejoices in the truth. So when we're pressed to battle emotions against truth, trying to figure out how do we know if our emotions are lying to us or not, I actually think 1 Corinthians 13, 6 gives us a really clear answer. If you are walking under evil, if your life is being lived under you know the the wind the sail the flag of evil then your emotions are all going to be wrong Mm. if you are walking under the truth then you will actually be able to have joy you will be able to have your emotions in their proper place love delights not in evil but rejoices in truth in other words love can have proper sensations when it's in the truth but love cannot actually be love when it's under evil. It may look like that. It may feel like that, but it's, it's going to be deceptive. It's going to be a perversion. So here's a little confession I have for my life and, and something I've also observed in the world around me. Right now in our modern world, especially here in, in say modern America, we are plagued with just a debaucherous gluttony of all the senses all the time. One of the things which is really unique about our time is that it's so easy to be a glutton over everything. Mm. In the past, yes, you had all of these sins and things out there, but you kind of had to work to get to them. (laughs) You didn't just have a little device in your pocket which you can pull out and and just, you know, sin all over any weird desire that you have. Now we can. And, you know, I've referenced before online that, like, I, I understand the threat of something like the Instagram reels, the little videos that pop up. They have the music and stuff that plays and people put their little captions and stuff in there. They're, they're pretty meaningless. Most of the little videos last maybe a few seconds. Maybe it's a dog video. Maybe it's somebody comparing music from the past to it is today. But they're, they're just, there's not a lot of real substance going on there. But yet you can throw away like hours of your time with this. And in our world, whether it be scrolling on Facebook, whether it be on the televisions, um, even doing things that we kind of justify as work, like the modern world has set us up to where we live life here in the in the screen rather than actually in the real world Mm. and that's a very dangerous thing because a lot of times we feel like you know i'm getting information you know i'm listening to talk radio or i'm listening to the news or i'm reading you know some journal article i'm reading something which is about serious real world events therefore i'm doing something meaningful right well you may not be Mm. it's very easy for us to pervert the way our mind processes information because everything is so sensuous I think one of my, my biggest frustrations, um, pretty much all journalism is dead right now in our world. And I mean that about like every industry, even like the car journalist. You know, I love cars. Dad has been wanting to get a new Bronco. I'll see a new article come up that says like, oh, the, there's going to be an update on the Ranger. Here's everything you need to know. And like in my heart, I know there's not going to be any meaning in this. It's just going to be all emotion, all show, 
it's going to be sound and fury signifying nothing, but then you like touch on the article anyway, and boom, sound and fury <laughs> signifying nothing. There's nothing in these articles. They're just trash. Mm-hmm. And love, we cannot be healthy and whole creatures living like this. We can't be healthy and whole creatures who spend our time. And, and I know a lot of people, a lot of people even in my own church, that that fight this battle. Like it, it's one that preys on me. I, I know how much it, it preys on us to just live in the phone, to – to, to do things like that, but we have to, to be beyond that. It, it helps us be critical thinkers, and it helps us have freedom. And I define freedom as the ability to live without inescapable burdens, to have the mountain removed from your shoulder. Pastor Mike. You know, I think that is exactly where uh, C.S. Lewis is going with the screw tape letters, where uh, screw tape is, you know, giving direction to uh, uh, Wormwood to not just, you know, it's better style. In other words, if someone's just obviously in great sin, um, you know, that's not the style he's looking for. He's looking for something that is good and and perhaps even, you know, um, created of God, but perverting that, disordering that to the point that it prohibits them from worshiping the true God. And so we can see something that is good taking and, and disrupting the order in our lives to keep us from being uh, productive and, of course, neglecting the purpose that God has us called for. And so uh, it could be, you know, I think that's where he's looking at. He says, that, in fact, they have uh, neglected and disrupted the, the order so much, but yet they are naive to what is really going on. Sure, and a couple other quotes from Screwtape in the book is he says, you know, if we could get someone to sin without the pleasure, that would be the thing. Like we want people to lust, we want people to want the adultery, you know, the the unchastity. But we wish because the sin happens actually before they do the physical act, you know. And we know this is biblical. Like the the sin of adultery begins there in the heart when you kind of consummate that there in your soul. And Screwtape says if we could just get them to to commit to the sin but then never have the fun of actually doing it, that would be the optimal thing because the senses actually carrying it out, that has some connection to God because he made their bodies. He created our ability to do a lot of things, and we want to cut all of that off. Mm. We just want you to be pure sin. If we could get you to sin without doing anything at all, that would be the goal. No fun, no pleasure, just ultimate misery and ultimate sin. That's what they really want. But another, another statement that he makes that kind of ties into this, um, when, when Screwtape is, is really talking about how, how it's God that has made the, the emotions, he says, in our research, we have not been able to produce one. Hmm. You know, misery really is the point of hell. And there was another quote I was going to bring up from the book, but it slipped my mind, so we'll kind of <laughs> we'll just roll past that. Pastor Man, I don't know if you would like to come in now. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things, and um, I've been reading, and by no means am I an expert in this, uh, but I, I was just noticing also in my mindless scrolling on social media and various sites, uh, those in the psychology field are kind of handling this as well, where, you know, kind of early on, or I don't know really early on, but a fairly modern mantra that has come up uh, is the idea of like, feeling your feelings, recognizing your feelings, that your feelings are valid. Yeah. And this mantra was tied to a philosophy where uh, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists were trying to get people to recognize their feelings because often up to that point, the mantra had kind of been like the stiff upper lip, you know, bury your emotions, just do what you need to do. So they were trying to get people to be more realistic and honest with themselves. Well, the world, as the world does, took the mantra, but without the philosophy behind it. And this idea of just like, oh, I can just feel whatever I want. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. And so those in the psychology field are trying to like rein that in a little bit because they're like, well, no, no, that's not what we were trying to do here. The idea is you recognize your feelings. You're honest with your feelings. Then you analyze why you're reacting that way. For instance, if you're in a situation that makes you angry, odds are you have every right to be angry. But then how do you react to, to that anger? Um, And as we'll see in our Bible story in a little bit, probably calling down fire from heaven and overreaction. So you're feeling... But maybe not. Maybe (laughs) not. Maybe not. So your anger may be valid. Your feelings are valid. But your actions, that's not an excuse to do whatever you want. So I've noticed that in our our pop culture, even outside of Christendom, many people, scholars, teachers, helpers, 
are trying to figure out the best way to guide people through this this very topic about what we do with our emotions in the midst of also dealing with the truths of the world around right. us. And I think a, as we deal with that, that, that this is something where um, this dialogue can help us both in the, like, looking at psychology, looking at how our brain produces dopamine or serotonin and all those other kind of chemicals that go on, and then how we can bring that in within the narrative that Paul is really writing to us, which he starts this section out, um, even although we put it in, in chapter 12, where he tells the Corinthians, now I will show you the most excellent way. Yeah. So Paul has outlined all this theology, but then he gives us this very succinct version of it in chapter 13. What does this look like? And yeah. a lot of these things like you're talking about, love delights not evil, but rejoices in the truth. This is all also has the prelude of what love is and does. It is sure. the patience. It is the temperance. It is the perseverance. These are the things that uh, takes the the pleasures and the senses of the world and puts them in their right order. Yeah. You know, to that kind of point, the whole mantra, you know, your emotions are valid. We live in a, an age where we're basically all brainwashed. And, and I mean, just like straight up, you know, I remember being in college and they would kind of roll out the tape from the KGB defector back in the 1970s. He would talk about how you demoralize people mm. and literally everything that's happened there has come true. Just about everything C.S. Lewis warned people about, G.K. Chesterton warned people about. Many of the the, the, the and honest Christian leaders of 100 years ago, like the true critical thinkers like C.S. Lewis, um, J.R.R. Tolkien, Though he, he obviously wrote The Lord of the Rings, he was, in his personal life, very worried with sophistry, things which sound and feel true but aren't. Mm. In fact, many speculate the ring from The Lord of the Rings is kind of modeled after the concept of sophistry. Mm. Um, or in the, the modern language, we use the language of fake news, um, something which appears to be a, a you know legit news story, but in truth, it's just all nonsense. He... He was very worried about that. C.S. Lewis was very worried about that. G.K. Chesterton was very worried about that. Many have been very worried about that for the last hundred years, particularly people who who had escaped and survived things like communism, um, like the KGB defector who came and kind of warned about a lot of stuff happening in our our country where basically in the same way when you look at depression, there's kind of five categories. Do you have meaning in life? Do you have a, a work and sleep cycle? Do you have good relationships with your family? Are you free of addiction? Um, and I'm trying to go through this live on the air. There's another category. Um, your health. And how is your health? If one of those areas falls, the others get a little bit weaker. If three of the five areas fall, pretty much it's guaranteed the other two will fall too. Mm. And the same thing happens. If we can get a little bit of our emotions to get out of whack, it's going to be hard for them all to be together. When we look at the cardinal virtues of old, which, you know, faith, hope, love, prudence, temperance, justice, and fortification or courage, chastity. That last one there can be described a few different ways. But all of these really are about reigning in ourselves so that we can look at Christ and model ourselves after Christ a lot better. Well, one of the things which happens is in our modern world, when we delight under evil, when our brain is taught to delight under things which are not true, just to perpetually delight over the stuff online and the delight we have, the dopamine rush can come from something we like or something we dislike a lot. Mm. It, it, it's crazy how it works. It's, screw tape tells us it really doesn't matter whether you're the extreme pacifist or you know the one really interested in the war effort. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that you make that your goal. Whatever it is that flips the dopamine, uh, whatever gets that drip going. And we, we are so brainwashed, and it's, it's very hard for us to discern truth. And that's because we're not first walking in the truth. And kind of to wrap this conversation up, and I know it's been a while since Pastor Mike has talked, and I need to throw things back over to him, but we've got to get back to being a discerning people who do discipline ourselves more and more like Christ every day. And we need to focus on the seven cardinal virtues. Like we need to be able to give a name to those so that our minds can think clearly. They're, they're beautiful tools. They're beautiful things. And that's what our next segment is going to be on. Pastor Mike, would you share some final thoughts on this before we get? Well, you know, just as I was hearing you talking about all of that, you know, I was I was thinking, you know, that is truly the understanding of uh, peace when we see Paul and different ones write in the Bible, grace and peace to you. Of course, grace is, uh, you know, a charisma. It's, it's more than just an unmerited gift, which we've often defined it as, but it is, it, it is this... Um, 
um, you know, love of God that has been shared upon us. But peace reaches back into that Old Testament understanding of completeness and wholeness and a correct balance of of these very things that we're talking about and the order that God has instilled in us. And so when Paul, you know, says the simple word peace, um, and we still do that today, one another will say shalom or whatever, but this is about this completeness and wholeness and balance and order in our life. Sure. All right. Well, to keep ourselves from being brainwashed, we must walk in the truth. That way we can enjoy our senses in the proper place and to walk in the truth, we're going to hone ourselves along the cardinal virtues. We're going to have a segment break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to study Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. We'll be back here in a moment. All right. Thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Logos. We're going to be doing another cardinal virtue test. And now how this works is we're going to give some characters, a score on a scale of zero to 10 for each of the virtues. And after we get through all seven virtues, they'll have a score somewhere between zero and 70. 70 is the perfect score. Zero is, you know, a flat out degenerate. <laughs> um, which oddly enough, you know, this is, we, we just got done with screw tape. It's when the virtues get out of place that they become very dangerous. Mm-hmm. So sometimes very evil things actually might scale, like scale pretty high on some of these things. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, I'm not sure you could ever score a zero and be living. Like at some point, Yeah. maybe, I mean, unless you were just the most sloth, slothful person in the universe, you got to score at least a one on one of them. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Like I, I think the only way you could score a zero is if you are king nothing, the void. Mm. From my illustration from last week's sermon, I, I think you would have to be the void to get a perfect zero. Anyways, we're going to be looking at James and John. As much as I despise collective justice, we're going to rate James and John together. We're as making a, a special exception on that today to look at their combined behavior in Luke chapter nine, verses fifty-one through fifty-six. And let me read the passage for us, and then we're going to jump into our cardinal virtue test. When the days drew near for him to be taken up. He set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But the Samaritans did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. So again, we're going to be giving James and John, they called down fire. The Samaritans did not receive Jesus. And they said, Lord, we'll call down fire from heaven. We'll sort this out right now, right now. You know, Moses, when Korah rebelled, he said, you know what? You're not even going to wait for the day of judgment. We're going to, we're going to sort this out right now. (laughs) God is going to open up a pit. Do not collect $200. Do not pass. Go, go straight to Sheol. No death. Just go straight to hell. Um, it's a Bible story that happens. Go check out number 16. It's pretty brutal. Well, the same thing happens here. James and John, they're like, you know what? The Samaritans, they did not welcome you, Jesus. It's time for them to be smoked. <laughs> time for a little smiting here. We're going to rate them on a, the cardinal virtues. And in this, we also are rating ourselves a little bit. That's why we need to learn this. We, we need to learn to rate ourselves in our daily lives on the cardinal virtues. So I'm going to let... Amanda and Mike go first. The first of the cardinal virtues, faith. Where do you rate James and John in this moment of their faith? Pastor Amanda. Huh. I because faith is a tricky virtue, I think, in the sense of it is it is faithfulness, yeah. fidelity, but it is also trust in the faithfulness of others. Yeah, so you can be faithful in something that's not God, too. Yeah, yeah so there there's I think they've got they have faith. I don't know where their faith is though, because it it it's because they're the ones that are like we'll call down, like that's God's job to call down fire and smoke. Like it just seems odd. They're like, yeah, we've got this, Jesus. We can judge this. So their their faith seems to be a little internalized, but they do have it. They do have it. So they have it. <laughs> I'm gonna give them an eight on faith. Pastor Mike, yeah, I may be the odd person out here. I'm going to go ahead and give them a 10. I, I don't know if they totally understand. Obviously, Jesus rebukes them. But at the end of the day, I, they're, you know, to call down 
fire on it's is a tremendous act and and i'm going to even go further to say they pose this not as we're going to do it but it was a question <laughs> it was a question <laughs> would you they, like for us to do it? now i'm, I'm I, we're going into other virtues but i think the faith that they have that that they turn to God and say, I'm not saying their their heart was in the right place. I'm, I'm for sure Jesus rebuked them. But at the end of the day, I'm going to give them a 10 on faith. All right. All right. You know, chastity is another way to interpret some of these other virtues. They they do have some reservation here. They are very well chaste. Yeah. We're, we're not going to just immediately do it. But no, they get a solid 10 on faith from me too. Um, <laughs> if you're going to call down fire, on the Samaritan man, straight up, straight up 10 on faith. All right, Pastor Amanda, <laughs> the second virtue, hope. Hope. Uh, and that one, I, I think, I don't know, they were probably very hopeful that Jesus would say yes. They, they seem, at least in the narrative we have in, in my own uh, imagination's interpretation of this passage, they seem very hopeful to get a yes to this answer. But I don't know if they have a lot of hope in the grand scheme of uh who Jesus is in the kingdom, the kind of kingdom that Jesus is calling for. I'm not sure they've quite caught that vision yet. So I'm going to give them kind of like a five on hope. It's, give them a five on it, hope. it's there, but it's not solid. Okay. Okay. Pastor Mike. You know, I think, um, you know, they have hope, but I think Amanda nailed it. It's, it's a misplaced hope. We all know that there's no, um, you know, very Samaritans and Jews, they were not good buddies, okay? Let's just leave it at that. And so I would, you know, there is hope there, but it has to be the rightly ordered and right place hope um, in what Jesus is doing, not to come to condemn, but to, you know, to see the world saved. And at the same time, you know, uh, I'm going to go with a four. You give him a I'm going to go with a four. I'm giving them a ten. <laughs> They're getting a solid ten on hope. They have this all sorted out. They they do. They say, you know what? The kingdom of God is at hand. We're going to be living in it. And anybody that don't want to, they, they've heard Jesus preach. They know by your words you be justified, by your words you be condemned. They know that if they reject Jesus as better, it will be better for the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for those who rejected Jesus. They they have heard these sermons, and they're just working out a little hermeneutic. They're just saying, speed it up, Jesus. Yeah. Speed it up. We can not... call it down. Just yeah, tell us. Yeah, yeah, but that's, I think that's maybe hope in the short term, not a lot of hope in the longevity yeah, of the gospel. It might be. It might be. And, you know, maybe we'll get into those those issues when we get to prudence and temperance. <laughs> I'll stick with my But boy. I'm going to give them a 10. They have the hope. Maybe maybe it's misplaced. Maybe it is, but it's it is as it is. Mm. And next we get to charity, the <laughs> emptying out of oneself for another. Here we go, charity. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm hard pressed not to give them a zero. So because there's two of them, I'll give them one each, so they get a two. They get uh, they get a two, <laughs> a nice nice whopping two. Pastor Mike. Again, it's misplaced here on their charity, and I I'm gonna stick with what you said you know if the kingdom of god is is supposed to be a people who um you know seek the righteousness of jesus and they re, they reject jesus are they rejecting the reje- righteousness of jesus or just the person and i and you know for me i feel like they're both one in the same but at the end of the day I, i'm going to go ahead and give them um a three a three okay because you know they definitely seem to have very little care and charity for them but at the end of, i do think they they really want to see the kingdom of god come and there's no place for rejection of jesus in there mm. well and now it's my turn to rate them you know a charity this love this agape love is the emptying out of yourself for another now they're very close they're very close to having charity. They're very close to a 10 because they're willing to empty out heaven's fire for them. They're fully happy. They're ready to, you know, my treasures are stored up in heaven. We're just going to empty out some of that fire, you know, that lightning which peels forth from the throne. We're going to empty that out right on the town of Samaritan. And if that lightning was theirs to give, they would certainly get a 10, but it's not. 
if they had wanted to to relinquish their own fire, mm. then they could have had that ten. But you see, in Christianity, we cannot abdicate our responsibility. Paul writes to us, even the thief must give up his thieving so that he works with his hands so that he has something genuine to give to his neighbor. They didn't want to give up their own fire. They wanted to give up God's fire, and that wasn't theirs to get. So they've got to have a zero on this mm. for me. They were wanting to be charitable with someone else's purse, and that's not real charity. Had it been their own fire, had they, they pulled a little Samson for us and said, let us go catch a couple hundred boxes, we'll light fire to their tails, then then maybe they could have scored a little bit higher. But because they wanted to use God's fire. I, I don't want to read too much into this, but it, this to me reflects a little bit of, you know, um, Elijah and calling down of the fire there and, and, and you know, not only consuming the sacrifice, which is very, you know, understanding the whole element of that, that, you know, we've got to get rid of the Baalism. Yeah. And and if we have to, and if these are, are not going to worship one true God, uh, then they have to be going, I'm going to stick with my three. You give it a zero. Yeah, what did you give, Amanda? I give them a two. I give them one You give a two. Well, maybe <laughs> I'm being very generous. But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot in the context. They have people that they truly love that they do not want to see um, living in the Baalism corrupts it. And that doesn't mean that all Samaritans were into Baalism or anything, but they were, they did reject Jesus. And um, Yeah, and it, it's, it's interesting. When you look at our scores, even though I gave them a whopping zero on charity, I still have the highest score for them. I've got them at a 20 so far. Amanda has them at a 15 and Pastor Mike at a 17. So let's go on to the next virtue, prudence. This idea of you have wisdom, not just in a moment, not just in the immediate sense. So you've, but you've got a lasting, you know, perseverance. You you're somebody who has wisdom in the moment. Your momentary impulses and reactions and responses are correct, but you're able to carry those out for a while too. So prudence here. What do we give on them? So pr- remind me, because you just said it, and my brain went blank. So that's the wisdom. Yeah, kind of an wisdom. enduring wisdom. Yeah, I think this is interesting because. They've told us in this text, Luke has told us twice, that Jesus is setting his face towards Jerusalem. We all know what happens in Jerusalem. And not only what happens to Jesus, but what happens to all the disciples. And even the text you referenced earlier about it it was better for uh, for Sodom and Gomorrah than for the cities who reject Jesus. If I'm remembering correctly, that context, Jesus is speaking to his... uh, Well, to his people to the yeah. Jewish people. Right. The, the, yeah, these is. are not the Samaritans and not that there's a different rule for the Samaritans, but I'm just saying like there's a there's a slightly harsher context Jesus is trying to let his people know like you've been given the covenant, the grace, the law, the prophets. You yeah. should know better. And that's why it's going to be harsher for you than for those in Sodom and Gomorrah. And James and John bless their hearts. They are the sons of thunder. They want the thunder and lightning. But they when it do. comes for them, they're not quite sure how to apply it. Yeah, so that's true. That's I I I feel it because again, the disciples are us. When we read the story of the disciples, we want to point our fingers at them and be like, "Ah, oh, you fools!" But they are us. Yeah, <laughs> they are us. And so I want to be gracious to them, but they don't have a lot of long term, I think, wisdom. And we're going to see that when Jesus gets to Jerusalem. Um, so they're going to have to score pretty low on this one. To be a little more gracious, I'll give him a three. You give him a three? Okay. Yeah. Pastor Mike? You know, knowledge and wisdom are two different things. And so, you know, having knowledge and then applying that knowledge is where we see wisdom coming into place, into that certain situation. And so they're very knowledgeable. Obviously, they they know about, you know, the the scriptures and how Elijah called down the fire. you know, I, I have a tendency to want to go low, but there is a, a I want to give them more because they do ask Jesus. And even though they're wrong and they do get rebuked, rather than them just trying to call down this on their own, they do ask Jesus. And, and for that very reason, I'm going to give them a six because they have given up everything. They have followed Jesus and, and they have a lot to learn. And even receiving a rebuking, let us never get to the point where we are, are are at a place where we don't think that we can't ask God and receive 
direction and include including a rebuking sometimes and uh, yeah. so I'm, I'm gonna give them a six yeah um i'm giving them a two they knew the day of judgment's coming like they they're ready for it but they also y'all have largely made the case for why i've given them a two so i don't need you to just rehash <laughs> that they they don't have that kind of enduring impulse to say well jesus is going to sort it out they, they kind of feel like they've got to to do a little bit more than than is necessary for them to do um so i'm just going to give them a two on prudence we'll just we'll just leave it there okay. let's go on to the next virtue of temperance yeah they're not very temp tempered temp temperant temperance. i think that's right temperance temperance well no temperance yeah they ha- they don't have temperance but they are not very temperate. Yeah, temperate. Right. Okay. Yes, there we Sorry, go. the the conjugation was tripping me up a little bit. Um, yes, and then like Pastor Mike's pointed out a couple of times, they asked Jesus, so um, they they get some points for at least asking instead of being like, "God, we're calling down fire," like in the middle of the ritual. But uh, yeah, and and also to your point, uh, Pastor Dylan, you were saying earlier, like they're not Elijah. All right, they're not Moses standing in the gap when God says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna smite the Israelites," or, or even Abraham, and as he looks towards Sodom and Gomorrah, like. But basically, they're putting themselves in that position by saying they can call, like, you are talking to the one who was there at Sodom and Gomorrah, the one who was there with Moses and the people of Israel, the one who was, you know, there with Elijah at, at, at the, and you're telling him that you're gonna call down fire and, and smoke and lightning, like. There's just not a lot of self-control that's happening in this situation. Uh, but they did ask instead of just doing it. So, uh, again, I'll give Which them... This, this one is another virtue that can be... Both courage and temperance sometimes are are replaced with chastity, that mm-hmm. sort of self-moderation. So I'll, I'll put that out there for you before mm-hmm. you give your score real quick. Well, but I think, see. yeah, well, courage, I'm going to probably go a different way on that one. Um because man, they are bold. Uh, but on on temperance, on this kind of self regulation, restraint, I'm I'm gonna give them a. They get again a point each, so they'll get a two. <laughs> they'll get a two. Okay, okay. Pastor Mike, this sounds. I, I'm gonna give them a five. Okay. Those who never do never make mistakes. Mm. And I think part of the whole understanding of temperance is learning through your mistakes. They are certainly not at a place and as much as what they're doing is wrong and Jesus rebukes them, I'm going to give them a five. That's kind of mid-range. Yeah, I'm going to give them a passing grade here. They get a seven from me. Um, They were right to be angry. People rejected Jesus. They're defending the faith. They're not offending the faith. In reaction to Jesus being rejected, they say, you know, we're going to defend the faith. They, They show some chastity. They ask first. Now, the only reason they don't get a perfect 10 is because they did shoot over the target a little bit. They were a little bit too haughty in their ambition. They needed to have a little bit more uh, chastity, not just in their decision-making process, which is really where their restraint was, but they needed to have a little bit of restraint in their goals, perhaps. Mm. Um, so, so they're getting a seven from me on that. Uh, number six on our cardinal virtues, justice, which is, in this case, you could apply it to mean justice between, you know, misconduct between people, but this is also about the proper order of things. So sometimes justice might mean, you know, the Ark of the Covenant is stolen. It needs to be brought back. That's its proper order. You know, how well are you as a steward and how well is your life organized? Justice applies to that, too, the things being orderly. But how do we feel on justice, Pastor Amanda? Yeah, see, and that's why, like, you you and Pastor Mike both have, have kept, you know, mentioning that they wanted, the people rejected Jesus, so there needed to be a consequence for this rejection. <laughs> and that sounds like justice. Yeah. But again, it's fascinating we are put in the context of Jesus going to the cross. Yeah, yeah. And I think that has to speak to something where the disciples, the Pharisees, the scribes, everybody wants justice. Yeah. Oh, do we need justice? Right. But they want the justice that smites their enemies, not the justice that purifies and cleanses and melts us. Yeah. So they have an order. And for them, they've got the right order. Or they have things they think in the right order. But it is not in God's right order. Yeah. So I do want to give them a high, a high score on this one because, oh, they want it. Yeah. But, man, do they miss it. So they miss it. They're going to get – I feel like I've been very harsh on the other ones. So I'm going to give them a five on this one. They're, they're middling. Okay. Um, because 
man, they want justice. But again, Luke told us twice, Jesus has set his face to the cross. And and that's that's got to speak about justice in a yeah, way that, that they that, don't quite understand yet. You, they will get you it, make, but you not make yet. a compelling case because <laughs> uh, you've you've caused me to to rethink the score I was going to give them. We'll see if Pastor Mike can once again change my mind, Pastor Mike. <laughs> well, there's if anything, as much as we talked about a misplaced hope, there's a misplaced justice here. Mm-hmm. I think Amanda articulated that very well, and. I also want to give grace to them because, you know, they understood Jesus as coming as a Messiah for the Jews. Mm. And they looked at the, the, the rest of the world, the Gentiles, even the Samaritans, which were a combination of, uh, you know, mixture of, of, you know, had some Jewish, you know, background as well as uh, they had intermarried in things uh, with other other. Uh, from a historical standpoint, but I, I think you know their justice is often is very much misplaced, and I think this is what Jesus is pointing them to. And then Jesus is going, and his face is set towards Jerusalem, and so for that reason, they're just missing the justice of God, and so I'm going to give them a four. Okay, you know I was going to give them a ten. <laughs> I I had you know they they're here for it. They're yeah. saying you reject God, you you have rejected the moral and natural law. By your words you be justified, by your words you be condemned. You have reaped and now you shall or you have sown and now you shall reap. But as Amanda said, they they were not implementing justice there within their own lives because when you actually put in the self-examination part of this, that's really where their fault comes in. So I've got to give them a five because mm. of that, yes, but but they they almost deserve a ten. Yeah, it's weird that that a zero is almost a ten in some of these cases, and a five <laughs> is almost a ten. For one small factor could have a big numeric change here. Mm. All right, so our final virtue, uh, courage. This this idea that you're fortified, you're you're making your way, courage, Pastor Mena. You know, again, because not just because I've been so harsh on them on the other ones, but. There, there is courage in the, in the Sons of Thunder, and I think they have proven that yep. several times throughout the gospel narrative. They are, they're willing to to forsake um, their father and their livelihood and their standing in society for for the cause of Christ. And and the other virtues are a little out of whack, but man, they are they're all in. So I'm gonna, I hate giving perfect scores. I'll give them a ten for courage. They're they are they're ready, and they're they're doing it. <laughs> all right, Pastor Mike. I'm not going to be as graceful as Pastor Amanda is to them because I think that the prejudices and the the lack of uh, true, you know, understanding of the kingdom of God. But you know, they dis- Jews and Samaritans despised one another, and that has clouded their vision so much that I believe it it kind of falls right into what we were talking about with the screw tape letters that they're. Their passion and has been slowly corrupted because I I do believe even though um, James and John said this I think if Jesus would have said sure go ahead I think there would have been ten other disciples there with them <laughs> saying bring it on you know I, and and so I think there's a whole bigger thing I'm going to give them a six because there is a lot of courage to even do what they did. But I think it's, again, their courage is, is derived from a wrong substance in many ways. See, this, this is where I'm going to have a different answer because we don't, we don't know how much the Samaritan Jew thing plays into this specific, specific story. Like, yes, that's generally a problem, but they've, they've also been with Jesus for a while now. This is right before they go it's to the true. cross. And it's only after the rejection that they, they want to, to do that. So I'm, I'm going to hold off on that note just because it would be me reading a little bit into the text. But here's here's where I, I, I really want to give them a perfect hint, but I'm not going to because they didn't do it themselves. Mm. If they really were courageous, they should get the, get the foxes. <laughs> We've all read the book of Judges. 
We all know what Samson does. Get you a donkey's jawbone. So you give maybe like Peter at Gethsemane a 10 because he at least uses right, his own sword. Right, right, we're Peter. Not, we're not saying these are good responses. Yeah, we're just saying no, the, no, no. the virtue of courage may have outweighed the rest of them yeah, in the moment. Yeah, right. Yeah. So Peter there in the garden when he pulls out the sword and chops off an ear, yeah, like he's going to get a 10 for courage because he's willing to do it. Here they're like, no, nah, we'll have heaven come down on them. <laughs> You know, why don't we have Gabriel, or Gabriel really does more messages. Michael, we'll let Michael roll over <laughs> or, here for that. Um, or Raphael. Yeah, Raphael. Yeah, we'll say, we'll let them roll over here. But but they're like, eh, you know, they need to be destroyed, but I don't want them to be the one who does it. Hmm. So they, they don't have they, enough skin in this game to really get a 10 on the courage <laughs> scale. So I'm going to give them a, uh, I'm either going to give them a 4 or a 5. Oh, man. I know that really cuts them down. Hmm. Um, I'm gonna give them because because there is an element of passivity in here of all things remarkable. <laughs> so they're not doing it themselves; they're just calling on somebody else to do it. So I'm gonna well, give them a four. Yeah, I, I'm giving them a four on that. They're they're hitting the big red button. They're not yeah. actually the one, yeah, you know, flying the nuke out. But all right, so <laughs> and, so and we're working within this incident. But don't forget, John is the one who does take care of Mary. Hmm. And G is at the cross when Jesus says, "This is, this is your son. This is your mother." Is it this James that's the first uh, John? martyr mar- of the twelve that's martyred, or was that a different well, James? Well, that's that's a scholarly debate on which oh, okay. one that is, is. But but it was a James that was the first of the twelve that was mm-hmm. martyred, wasn't it? Okay. Well, it's, some believe that, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just, I'm, gosh, I'm horrible with names. There's so many James. Right. There's a lot of right. James. There's it, a lot of. It's like uh, which lo- Mary? It's, there's just a lot of Johns too. So, are we ready to see what our, our yeah, scores are? Yeah, I feel like do I may have, like, overwhelmed with the 10 at the end, but we'll see. Well, how, how different do we think our scores are? Well, that's what I'm trying to think. I think I thought they were going to be pretty different, but I, I may have made up the gap. Did they get over 30, you know, a 35? Yeah, they, that's the, did they pass or fail? I think they made over half. We, we, I think all of us got over half. Yeah. Okay, so um, Pastor Amanda gave him a 35. Oh, just that half. Just okay. at half. Pastor Mike gave him a 38, and I gave him a 38. Hmm. So with our scores being so disparate across the seven virtues, we actually ended up about the same Same place, which is remarkable because that happened the last two times. And I know I'm keeping the score over here, but I can only do so many things. I'm trying to run a keyboard, (laughs) trying to run numbers and do math at the same time. I am trying to be honest with this and not cheat the books. Um, but but that's crazy how how the scores have been pretty similar, mm. even though we've had a little bit different argument for all the seven of them. I really do think there is something we could learn from a cardinal virtue test that we, we apply to our own lives. So we'll wrap up there. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this program here at Kingdom of the Logos. I do have our time for final thoughts. Okay. So wrapping up the program, just random things going on in life. This year, I turned 30, and something really unique has happened, and I've asked some older people about this, and they can relate to it. A couple of years ago, many of you remember Charlie, the church history dog. He was the little brown chihuahua, and he was, you know, my best bud. And he died in, in 2019. It was just a crushing, crushing thing. Well, before Charlie died, um, which he was an older dog, and he was sick, but but the dog really loved being my dog, and and he was actually in my arms when he died. But the days before he did, I would stay up all night just waiting for this little dog to die. He would sit in my arms, and we would watch the TV. We would watch Star Trek. And over the course of several days, I would hold this dog all night long, and we would watch the original Star Trek, Trek and I would watch the sun go down because he died in July of, of 2019. So it was summer, and I would watch the sun go down, and then I would watch the sun come back up without really going to sleep. And then I would go out and do you know my pastoral work throughout the day, go home. And I was awake long enough to see the full spectrum of day and night, which was a remarkable thing because it made the world seem so different to me. It's like you could imagine the cycles of the day. It was, it's a weird experience. It's like you can feel how long they are. It made it feel really short. Well, this year, I can feel the movement of the seasons. It's like summer's not really that long. Like I can feel it getting warm, and then it's immediately getting cooler again. Like I can feel the length of the seasons now on an intimate level that my body, my psychology in the past could not. Like I'm, I'm old enough now that a, a year is, you know, only one thirtieth of my life, a season only one one hundred and twentieth of my life. It's a lot smaller than it was when you're, you're 20 or like a kid. 
So seasons seem much shorter to me now, and that's just a really interesting thing. So that's my my <laughs> bizarre final thought for today, and I'll I'll throw things over to Pastor Mike and Pastor Amanda. Oh, which one? Sorry, oh, me. Okay, <laughs> we'll let sorry. Amanda go first. Um, I was like, where's the camera? Backwards. Um, but no, I you know I was gonna say some uh, about the seasons. Well, just wanting it to get cooler, and, and I think, um. Yeah, there is an element of that as getting older, the seasons or the years seem shorter. But also with all the chaos that has happened in the last few years, like time has no meaning. It feels like to me, like one day I'm like, wow, this this week's gone by fast. And then like the next week, it's like it cannot end. And it's like only a Wednesday. So um, I feel more confused with my ability to tell time than I have ever in, in any part of my life. There, There is no surety. Uh, well, there is, but <laughs> not in this world. Not, yeah. Right. Um, so, so yeah, and that's why I think I want it to. I always want it to be fall as soon as possible, not just because it's my birthday and um, I enjoy the cool weather and the changing of the leaves. But this summer has been a summer. Um, this year has been a year. It just we need to wrap this sucker up. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm ready for some cold weather, some hot tea, and a big fluffy blanket. And then to just hibernate for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Pastor Mike. It's an outstanding weekend. We will be cooking uh, 24 shoulders and 60 chickens at Grace Chapel. And some people say, wow, that's a lot of work. But there's so much fellowship that goes on there. And so uh, it, it is actually very enjoyable. So. Um, I'm looking forward to the weekend, and we'll be selling those. Here comes a little advertisement at Grace Chapel uh, from 3 to 6 p.m. on Saturday. Come on out and uh, enjoy some of that fellowship and good food. Mm. Now, see, if we were going to end this program with remember to eat your Ovaltines, uh, or Ovaltine, whatever it is, plural or not, from the the Christmas story, I've got to throw in my sales pitch, too. So I have my, my novel that I've been working on. It is finished. It's in the editing process. Um, or I'm in the process of editing it, polishing the story. Um, but I have a spinoff of short stories that I'm starting to publish too. And those can come out a lot faster than a massive work like a novel. And so if you would like to check that out, you can download the CastBox app and under the, the podcast channel, The Adventures of Midheaven, there's going to be short stories. I'm going to try to release one a week. I've already got four in the work. One of them's already published. Three of them are on the way. And they're just little one-off stories <laughs> in a fantasy fictional realm of Midheaven. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. A lot of people have enjoyed reading them so far, whether they be people here in Jolton that got to experience them in person or the people that have enjoyed them online. It's put a smile on people's face, and I enjoy that. And it's also teaching us biblical ideas. So that's The Adventures of Midheaven. The first one that's out there is The Study of Manipaxi, and it was fun. So now that we've had all of our commercials there at the end, I don't know if Amanda needs to sail something for us. Uh, well, Glencliff, the church we partner with in, Na- in Nashville, is having their 20th anniversary. They're having a really fancy dinner Saturday. I've got to make sure my clothes are dry cleaned. And then Sunday, they're going to have a big lunch where all the different um, nationalities and cultures that are represented within the church are going to have a booth and have all kinds of different foods and things like that. Um, so, yeah, that's my only advertisement. Go well, see, and enjoy see, we, Glencliff. And remember... Remember to eat your Ovaltine. (laughs) Um, With that, thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos. God love you and have a blessed day.